Everybody feeling like everything's going to be okay? <laughs> so I want to uh, continue talking about uh, s- sort of some basics of spirituality. And I want to talk about the spiritual path as I understand it, okay? Uh, so where to begin? <laughs> in Second Timothy, you don't have to look it up, but in Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, the Apostle Paul writes... Uh, of course, it's about the last days, and we can get into what he's meaning there and not meaning there. And he's being harsh. He's being his harsh, pharisaical self when he's writing this. But all those blasphemers and and selfish people out there, I mean, you could just feel it, right? Uh, he still retained a lot of that in his personality. Although, the best Bible scholarship today says that Paul did not write First and Second Timothy. Yeah, it comes from a different author. They don't know who. Um, but it came much later. Uh, it's interesting to get into all that, but nevertheless, it says in there that there will come a group of people who have a form of godliness. Everybody say with me, form of godliness, a form of devotion, but will deny the power thereof. And so there is this distinction, like what we talked about last week, between form. Remember we talked about the world of form and name and label, right? So there's a distinction between form and energy or power. And so what I was saying was the first basic thing we have to do is stop being deceived by the world of form or confusing the name with the thing itself or the map with the territory, right? So we get caught up in the linguistics of a thing. And I use this example for evangelical Christians. The Bible says if you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved, right? So we come up with a formula, a sinner's prayer, that you have to pray to be saved. And we pray to Jesus. We call upon the name of, so we tell people call upon the name of Jesus, right? And they will be saved. Well, that works great here, but not so good in Mexico, because they're calling upon the name of Jesus. And then if you want to get right down to it, the man's name was never Jesus or Jesus. If you were walking around with Jesus in the first century and you said, hey, Jesus, he wouldn't turn around. If you were sitting there like blind Bartimaeus crying out, Jesus, Jesus, he'd walk right past you because he wouldn't know who you were talking to. Because his Hebrew name was Yeshua or Yehoshua, right? But then again, when Paul says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, he's quoting from the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, the name of the Lord there is Yahweh. So he says, whoever calls upon Yahweh will be saved. So then we're left, do we call on Jesus? Do we call on Jesus if we're Spanish? Do we call on Yeshua, Yehoshua, or Yahweh? How do we know? Right? So... The language, the linguistics, is simply a symbol of sounds and letters that we use to describe an energy that is divine that can bring salvation into our life. It is not the thing itself. It just gives us a way to talk about and communicate about something that is a much deeper reality. That's the difference between form and energy. Are you breathing? So you can have the form, but deny the energy. You can have the energy and not really have the form. Or you can have them both. Right? So that brings us to sort of a modern concept, although it's not really a modern concept because it was part of uh, ancient philosophies and teachings. Go back to Plato and Pythagoras and Aristotle, and you go to the Jewish mystical tradition, they all said this, Einstein 
made it modern for us. Uh, e equals mc squared, right? The E is energy, the M is matter, C is the speed of light, right? So basically he says everything is energy, even what appears to be material. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was without form and void, and what did he say? Let there be light, and there was light. So there's this pouring forth of energy. If you want to use the Big Bang Theory, right? At some point in time, there was this massive blast and explosion and pouring forth of energy that came from our Creator, that came from God, that came from the source of all that is. Right? So there is a constant, abundant outpouring of energy that is pouring from our Creator that we call God. Constant, right? And we are... We have a unique place in that. We are participants and expressions of that in the world. So that everything is energy. (laughs) And we need to be able to connect energetically and align and harmonize energetically with all of the various manifestations of energy in the universe. Now, throughout the history of humanity, we have given different God forms, different names, to different types of energies. So if you look at any of the pantheons, remember, mankind was uh, believed in many gods long before Abraham came along and said there's only one God. Yes. There's evidence that even the Neanderthals had religious ritual uh, in the way that they buried people and faith in pantheons. When I say pantheons, that just means many theons, many gods, right? If you look at all the different traditions, they talk about the same energies. They just call them by different names. So they were experiencing energies, which are expressions or manifestations of the Creator, that organize in different patterns... And then gave it a God form, as you might call it, one guy calls it a deific mask, a deity mask, that allowed them through their thoughts and forms to connect with the energy that was represented in that particular pattern. Did I lose you with that? So you have Isis representing the divine feminine in Egypt. You have Freya representing the divine energy in Norse mythology. Right? You have God as the breasted one, El Shaddai, or the mother eagle who carries Israel through the wilderness. All the different names that Israel had for God, the different uh, Jehovah names. Remember that? Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. Let's just take those two, right? Right? So, Jaira is a name that represents a pattern of energy that's flowing from the divine to bring provision into your life. Rafa represents a pattern of energy that is organized in a specific pattern that is flowing from the divine that brings healing. They're different energies, so they're represented by different names. The ancients did the same thing, they just said they were different gods. So the early church, to, to be in the early church, 
You had to be initiated into the celestial hierarchies. There was an exoteric expression of Christianity. By exoteric, what I mean is an outward form of the Eucharist and all this different stuff that they did. If you want to know what they did, you can go to an Eastern Orthodox church because they brag they haven't changed anything in 2,000 years. And you can stand and you can worship and you can have the bells and the smells and all that stuff. And then there was an esoteric or an inward knowledge and path. And the initiation into that, in fact, when Jesus said to you, it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, was about the angelic orders and how they govern the courts. So the early Christians did not have a pantheon of gods. They had a pantheon of archangels, angels, and saints that you still see in the Catholic Church today. It's mankind's attempt to I put form to that which is spirit or form to that which is energy and patterns of energy that are held that are all pouring forth from the one source of all that is. Are you breathing? Yes. <laughs> Here's the second principle. So everything is energy. It takes on different forms. We get hung up on the form and lose the fact that the form is simply a name for the energy. We have the same energies, just different names. Right? Different ways of relating to it. All coming from the one divine source, this outpouring of light and Energy. So here's the second thing. Everything that is energetic because it can take form, because it can be held in a pattern, also has beneath it information or consciousness. Inside an apple seed is the energy of life when it gets planted, but it organizes itself according to an intelligence according to a consciousness, according to a pattern, so that it always shows up as a apple tree. It never shows up as a cornstalk. It never gets confused. So there's an intelligence or an information that is holding together and governing all these different energetic patterns that show up as manifestations. Which means... Consciousness moves and controls the patterns of energy. Yes. You can't separate the two. Right? Yes. Now, next principle. When God created everything, He saw everything that He created, and what did He call it? Good. Not just good. Very good. Now the word very good there in the Hebrew is interesting because not only does it mean that it was good, but it means that everything was held in a harmonious relationship. So in other words, in this outpouring of the divine, there is, there is a, a, a pouring forth of energy and light that descends through different layers of consciousness, different dimensions, different layers of reality until it finally shows up in this three-dimensional world. <laughs> and there is a harmony to all of it. And so when God said, Behold, everything I've created is very good, 
then what evil is, what, what real evil is, at least biblically, is when our perceptions become misaligned and no longer operating in harmony. Why is perception important? Because perception has to do with consciousness, and consciousness does what? Directs energy. So all evil is are good energies that have been misdirected. So in that sense, there is nothing inherently evil. That's right. That which is destructive in the Bible, in Pentecost, was the fire of the Holy Ghost. We wanted the, the fire of the Holy Spirit to come and burn away that sin, right? Or burn up that whatever, right? What are we saying? We want to access energy that is destructive for the purpose of transformation and going to a higher place. But if you say God creates and brings destruction, oh no, no, he did not my father, not my dad. You haven't read the book. Come on. <laughs> you see it? Yep. All right. So, where do we fit in all this? <clears throat> Psalm 8. Because I want to talk about finding spiritual path, but I want to lay, again, spirituality 101, the basics, right? Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your, your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You made him a little lower than the angels, right? But you've crowned him with glory and honor and you've set him over all the works of your hands. And then it goes through the dominion of humanity. Now, how in the world we can get from that verse, which is pre-Christ, to original sin, and you're born a dirty, rotten sinner headed straight to hell, is beyond me. We've looked at it historically. Thank you, St. Augustine. Thank you for a bad translation of the Greek, because you have imparted to us that error, and it's infected every aspect of our society. And so religion has said, you need to be saved. You need to be fixed. You're broken. You're wrong. You're evil. Everything about you is evil. You need to doubt your own energies. You need to doubt the world around you because the world's evil. Think about what religion does. Religion first tells you you're evil. And then as you're, when you're a child, they use your sexual energy, which is heightened, while you're going through puberty to prove to you that you're evil by telling you sex is evil. So see, sex is evil, and you want to do all these evil things, and it's coming from your biology, so therefore you must be evil. And so now it's self-evident. Oh, I'm evil. You see it? So, oh, I must need to be saved. That's, that's how they do that. I don't know, that was free. <laughs> but then they tell you, so you can't trust yourself. That's my point. You can't trust yourself. I have a deep distrust in myself because my heart is wicked and deceitful above all things and who can know it and all that stuff. And my righteousness is like filthy rags. And we got to prove to you that you cannot save yourself. It's impossible for you to save yourself. So God had to kill his son. In order for you to, for him to feel better about you and for you to be saved. And so, oh, that's, that's the gateway to salvation. Right? 
It's a wonderful message, isn't it? But then if you're dirty and rotten to the core, you know everybody else is dirty and rotten to the core, so you can't trust the world. So you can't engage in the world, so you have to withdraw from the world. Because the world is evil, right? And it just goes on and on. So now you can't trust nature. Even though Paul the Apostle said that in nature is revealed everything about the Godhead. If you look at nature, you can understand the things of God. We say, no, look at the book and you'll understand the things of God. A book that was given to us by an institution that wanted to control us, <laughs> that wanted to wipe out the brand of Christianity that was looking within to discover the true self and the higher self and manifest the divine light in the earth. And they said, oh, no, 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 get rid of all those writings, kill those people, cut out their tongues, make them conform to the orthodoxy of the Trinity, make them conform to the group consensus of apostolic succession so that our our bishops can be in control. And what most people don't realize is that the Nicene Council was put together by the emperor to, to stop a rebellion that was going on in Rome. And so somehow we bow the knee to that and say, if, 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 I, if I don't adhere to orthodoxy, then I'm in trouble. I'm going to go to hell. Isn't that convenient? And salvation did not come. Listen, the Catholic Church gave you your Bible. Like it or not. In the 4th century. And I hate to tell you this, but not a single one of them thought salvation came from praying a sinner's prayer. Not a single one of them. Come on, Eric. Come on. Why am I doing this? I don't know. But we're going to go there and fish anyway. <laughs> so, the, thank you. So, I was missing Christine. I see Christine's back. I was like, my amen corner has been gone for <laughs> a couple weeks. Thank you. But so, so that's who gave you your Bible. Watch this. That's who gave you your Bible. But they did not believe that praying a prayer got you saved. They believed that baptism got you saved. And the priest, who's state-sponsored, clearing you of your sins, kept you saved. Serving you the communion, kept you saved. And they're the ones that gave you your Bible. <laughs> And so you became a citizen of the Church of Rome because you're dirty rotten to the core. So therefore, if your baby's not baptized, your baby will be lost for eternity. So that kept the whole system going. So by the time you get to the Protestant Reformation, guess what? It's called a reformation for a reason. Martin Luther, he never wanted to break with the Catholics. He wanted to reform the Catholics. So he was as Catholic as they come. But because of all the conflict and stuff, now we need a new authority. It can't be the Pope. So I know we'll say it's the Scriptures. We'll go back to Paul and Peter and John, even though we don't know if they wrote those books. And the best scholarly evidence says that they didn't write those books. But church tradition has told us for centuries they did write the books, and it's the inerrant Word of God. And so therefore now our authority is not the Pope. Our authority is the Scriptures alone. And look at what a mess that's been. Because you got so many people saying, oh, we use the Bible, but they can't agree on a damn thing. And then they say, well, we have the Holy Spirit leading us into all truth, but they all get different revelations from the Holy Spirit and don't even realize it. <laughs> How did I get off on this? Because, and so then, so, so the idea that you had to pray a prayer didn't come until much later. It didn't come until much later. And frankly, the evangelical tradition comes out of the Puritan tradition. 
who were kicked out of England for being rebel rousers because they were going to, they were called purifiers because they were going to, Puritans because they were going to purify the church. And England said, get the hell out. So they came over here and go read some of their writings. Read the Scarlet Letter. You want to be affiliated with that? You want to be associated with that? You want to identify that as godliness? So the gospel crusade, come forward and receive Jesus in your heart, didn't start until about Billy Sunday. Who's Billy Sunday? So you don't even know. He was a traveling revivalist, evangelist. But prior to that time, it was the sacraments that saved you. So which is it? Is it the sacraments? Is it faith? Is it prayer? Is it the sinner's prayer? Depends on who you ask. Well, we know it's the sinner's prayer. Really? Where is it in the scriptures? Where is it? I mean, if that was so important to get you to heaven, how come God didn't dictate it at the end? You know, like like at least a, an, a, an appendix. Like, how come He didn't put the four spiritual laws at the back of the book, like Campus Crusade and Josh McDowell and all those people make it really simple for you? Because it's not there. Those things distract you and take you away from your power. They distract you and take you away from uh, your path and from the, the reality of spirituality to lock you into a form, but to deny the power of what's going on. <laughs> Who's winning? <laughs> do, do, do you see it? I need to finish up because the Broncos are playing. I know. So, back to this. So the scriptures say this, that God made him, crown him with glory and honor. But watch, that's a bad translation too, because remember, who gave you your Bible? So we don't want anything that's too empowering. A little lower, what does that mean? It means inferior to, right? Inferior to the angels, right? No. The word lower in the Hebrew, you can see I'm reading right here from a Hebrew dictionary says to diminish, to be devoid of anything, or to be without, to be lacking, to suffer want. And then they identify Psalm 8.6, and here's how they say this should be translated. Thou hast made him to be wanting, but a little of God, that he should not be much lower than God. Thou hast made him wanting. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you visit him? Thou hast made him wanting, but a little of God. That he should not be much lower than God. Thou hast made him wanting, but a little of God. There it is, guys, right there. You are a little of God. You are a little of God. In other words, until you discover the God inside of you, you have not discovered your true or highest self. One spiritual writer said it this way, We are all stars. We are all bursts of divine light. 
We are all centers of divine radiance. We are all miniature suns, if you will. But we all have a course that we have to follow through the sky. And what brings problems in our life is when we, when our perceptions become misaligned or unaligned with that course. And so true spirituality then is to peel away the layers of the false selves in order that you might discover the star that you are, the radiant divine light, the center of the sun, of the outpouring of divine energy that is you, and then align with your proper course so that you're back in harmony and relationship with all that is. Does that make sense? So you have to discover a you that you haven't discovered yet. That's the key. And in order to do that, you have to understand that you've been programmed and you're being programmed by the forces that are out here. In a lot of ways, we have come into a simulated reality for the purpose of our own spiritual evolution and growth. That is much like a video game. Here's what I mean. My son's been playing like the Zelda game, right? So he starts out with a task, but he starts out with nothing. He hasn't acquired any weapons. He hasn't acquired any power. He hasn't acquired more lives, more energy, things like that. And stuff's coming at him. And he has to overcome the stuff. And every time he overcomes an enemy, what happens? He gets stronger. He gets more armor. So the truth is, you got stuff coming at you deliberately. It's the plan of God to deliberately deceive you, cause you to forget who you are, and program you according to the patterns and voices and, and synchronicities of this world to get you completely out of sync with your higher self. So that your higher self can play this game of overcoming the opposition because every time you conquer, every time you overcome opposition, your star, if you will, shines a little bit brighter. You get more energy, you get more strength, you get more power Come on. Yes. by overcoming. For the purpose of your eternal spiritual progression and development. Are you breathing? Yes. So that part of being a God, a little of God but wanting, you see the dilemma? I'm wanting. I don't know who I am. I don't know how to get through this. I don't have, I'm not connected to the fullness of those resources. I'm wanting, but I'm a little of God at the same time, and I'm not much lower than God. Which means that we have multiple selves. Here's what I mean by that. Every one of us has different patterns of energy locked into our psyche that expresses itself as our personality that gets triggered at various different times. Yes. We can be nice and chill because we're hanging around with our family and people that agree with us. But the moment somebody disagrees with us, the moment somebody challenges a pattern of energy inside of us, what happens? Rawr! 
are. You know, now all of a sudden we're we're angry. Now all of a sudden we're full of turmoil, or something causes us anxiety. So we have an anxious. So so you can have a a, a Viking warrior inside of you that's ready to go out and conquer, and you can have this scared little girl inside of you that just feels totally insecure about life, and it's all just patterns of personality that's manifesting, right? You can have you can have things that you desire, things that you think are part of your will, but they're not your true will. Because it's a lower functioning will and desire that's coming from the programming that you received maybe when you were growing up. I'll give you an example. Maybe your high your higher will is to find love. <laughs> But your programming tells you that you have to be a people pleaser. You have to bring, you have to make sure that the people in your life are happy in order for them to give you love. So your highest will is to experience love unconditionally. Your lowest will, your lower will, is to please people because you're deceived into thinking that you'll experience that love by pleasing them. And occasionally you have the feeling of love. So you learn as long as I keep people happy, I can feel loved. So your relationship is becomes no different than that of a drug addict and a, his supplier. Because it doesn't last. Right? So I keep showing up trying to please you in order to feel good about myself so I can feel good about myself for a little bit, but then that wears off, so now I've got to do something else to feel... This is why people are egotistical. They want to feel powerful. They want to feel important. They want to feel valuable. And so if they can come in and tell you about all their accomplishments, or they can flash a bunch of money around, or or they can be buying everybody in the bar drinks, or whatever it is that they do, buying the best Christmas presents at Christmas, whatever it is that they do, it's giving them that momentary feeling of power. But, man, it wears off quick. And so what do they have to do? They have to go about it again. So what? So so is their will to be pleasing people? Yes. Is their will to be bragging about themselves and be a braggart so that they can? Yes. But what's their higher will? The higher will is, I want to be loved unconditionally. The higher will is, I want to feel like a god. I want to feel powerful and important. The problem is I'm using people like a drug addict uses his dealer in order to get those things met. And then we create fantasies for ourselves. When life doesn't go like we want, most of us try to create a fantasy for ourselves. Let's say that you believed that in order to be happy, you had to have a great marriage and family life. And you get into it and you're like, you know, I don't know, a year, two years into it, it's like, this isn't what I signed up for. But it's too painful to admit to yourself that you made that mistake. So you shove that away. You say, I can't admit to myself that I made that mistake. So what do you do? You create what you think it should be, and you just lay that template over it. And that's why everybody else can see what kind of jerk you're with, but you. Like, I don't know why they don't get away from that jerk. Because I keep telling myself it's like this, because in order for me to be happy, it has to be like this. So you stay locked into a bad relationship, but you're not exercising your higher will. You're not aligned with it. Do, do you get it? So for us, so, so you haven't really woke up yet. <laughs> you haven't really woke up yet till you realize what a fantasy you've created for yourself. 
Spiritual awakening isn't about, oh my God, I had this visitation, and I was in the heavens, and I was in the courts of heaven, and I was making all these changes, and, and, and all this stuff is happening, and oh, I'm rolling around on the floor experiencing drunken glory, hallelujah, you know, all that stuff. That is not spirituality. That, you, you aren't awake, you're still asleep. You're just living in your religious dream world, your religious fantasy world that you created. When you wake up is when you realize, dang, I have been projecting a fantasy because I've been lying to myself. I've been trapped in these egoic traps of my lower self trying to get my lower will to be done and I didn't realize that I am a star, that I am of God and I haven't connected with that deeper, more authentic, more genuine self. And in order to do that, guess what has to happen? I have to sacrifice. I have to give up my lower self. I have to give up my lower self so that I can ascend into my higher self. Which is the star, which is the radiance of that which is divine. Paul called it being seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Seek those, since you are seated with Christ, seek those things which are above. You don't know that self because there's a chasm. There's, there's a barrier of knowledge between the self that you know yourself as in this lower dimension and the self that is you in the higher dimension. Right. Now watch how everything works together, right? You got this? So you're in this body, in this world that connects you with others that are in this world, that connects you with this level of creation, Right? You also have a self-contained soul, which is all the various ways that you express yourself in the physical world that comes from within. The Viking warrior, the scared little girl, the serial killer, (laughs) the the good boy, the good girl, all the different roles that you play, the good father, the good husband, the pastor, whatever. But all of that is a world in and of itself that's within you, right? Then you are connected to a higher self, which is the you that's seated in Christ. But it's you. It isn't Christ. It's in Christ. Actually, if you want to get down to it, it's in a collective humanity. And then that collective humanity is part of a whole of humanity and then that humanity is part of a whole of the being who is Christ who then is part of the being who is God that we know and relate to who's probably part of a higher thing that we don't even know yet and I believe that goes on for eternity did I lose you? So watch this. Jesus said, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the composite you, the lower you down here. Right? And love your neighbor as yourself. So watch this. So I have to become, I have to come into harmony and full total unconditional love and acceptance of all my energies, all my patterns of energy, all the ways that I've manifested, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yes? 
I have to love myself. Then what's the next thing? Love my neighbor as myself. Then I have to understand that I'm part of a collective soul group. Not the totality of humanity, but a collective family. My tribe, people call it. Right? That's your neighbor. But then Jesus says there's even a higher level where you love your enemy. That's all. You don't jump from hating on yourself, disconnected from your higher self, to loving your enemy and complete union with God because you decided that's what you want to do. (laughs) You have to walk it out in phases. So you have to learn to love your... Thank you. So if you can't love yourself, don't worry about loving your neighbor. Because all you'll do is use not loving your neighbor as a way to hate on yourself. When you flip off the guy that cut you off or you're cursing the person at work, you'll just find other ways to hate on yourself because, oh, I should be loving my neighbor. Well, if that's how you love yourself and you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself, no thank you. Because you treat yourself worse than you actually treat your neighbor. See it? So you focus on that. Then you focus on loving your neighbor. And once you got that down, then you focus on... But there's, it's spiritual progression. Just one of the reasons I'm starting to embrace the idea of reincarnation more and more because I think we have to go through these processes and you don't accomplish it all in one lifetime. Come on. Now, you have to bring, you have to get to know your higher self Before and and come into union with your higher self, who is God, before you can know the greater reality of God. So your higher self is in Christ. You've got to know that higher self before you can know the greater reality of Christ. So is Jesus. Jesus represents for us humanity fully, divinely realized. The forerunner, if you will, who brings us into the fullness of our own divinity. So where do I start? How do I start discovering that higher self? By acknowledging it. By acknowledging that there's a you, there is a you, it's you that is completely enlightened, that is wise, that knows everything about the setup of your life, knows the lessons that you need to learn right now, that is, if you will, the Holy Spirit, or connected in the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you into all truth. So you can connect with and trust and look to your higher self, which is the you seated in the heavenly places in Christ, to give you a biblical frame for it. To connect with that and trust that. So that a lot of what you thought you were relating to as Jesus in former paradigms was simply 
the higher self coming to you wearing the mask of Jesus because that was the form in which you could understand and relate to what was going on because you weren't ready yet to let go of your forms and enter into the energies and hear the truth. So your own divine presence comes to you in a mask to connect with you and guide you and relate to you. So one of the things you can start doing is paying attention to pay attention to everything's going on inside of you. Pay attention to what you want. Pay attention to what you like and what you dislike. Pay attention to what triggers you. Next time somebody triggers you, don't worry about that person. We get triggered and bless God, we're going to set them straight. Try not to do that. Try even if you do that in the engagement, don't judge yourself for it. Come back and say, wow, I had a really strong energetic response to that. But then go to say, what is it within me that got triggered and caused that energetic response? And was it appropriate or did I use a hammer to kill a gnat? <sighs> and if I used a hammer, sometimes a sledgehammer to kill a gnat, then i got to figure out what is the energy in me, what's the pattern of energy in me that's being generated there? Right. And what is my highest will? Am I just stuck in a level of programming? But how does that connect to what I really want? Just like I was telling you, the person wants to feel loved, but they were conditioned to believe they had to do certain things in order to feel loved, and they're operating at that lower level of conditioning rather than from the principle of their true will and their higher self. And then the other thing you got, what does my heart desire? What feels good? Because you're connected, because I'm telling you, that higher self is pouring energy, not language, feeling, desire, into you every moment. And so you have to start to ask yourself, what is it that I really, really want? And our problem is, some of those desires start to come up, and we judge them. Oh, no, I can't have that. Oh, no, that's wrong. No, I shouldn't be like that. No, I might, I ought not. I can't have that. No, it's got to be this way. Nope. Our insecurities get, oh, my God. See, it, it takes a lot. You have to overcome all your insecurities to manifest your authentic self because you stop looking outside yourself for validation. Oh, I don't know if I can believe that. I don't know if I can say that. I don't know if I could do that because, whoo, this group over here isn't going to like, and nobody's doing this, and what are they going to say if they if, and what... And so now you're not living from your core. You're not living from your star. You're not living from the brightness of your own light. You're living based on other people's opinions. <laughs> so you have to ask yourself, here's the question to ask yourself. Get in touch with those energies or those desires and ask yourself this question. Not, is this a good desire or a bad desire? Is this a right desire or a wrong desire? Is this a desire I should have or shouldn't have? Ask yourself the question, is this desire authentically coming from my heart? Is it authentic? Is this expression of me authentic? Because until you can start being authentic in the moment and honest with yourself in the moment, you're still going to live in these fantasies that trap and deceive you. Trying to hold up a reality about life that isn't true. Because that's what you think you have to have in order to be happy. Or that's what you think your life was supposed to be like. Or yeah, that's what you think it should be. And so you c- 
convince yourself that's how it is. But you really know it isn't. But every time that thought comes up, oh, I don't like this, oh, shh, get back down. This is what we do, and it's not so bad. I mean, really, there's some good things here. You know, Don't tell yourself the grass is all you can. Whatever we tell ourselves. So that you begin to... So that spiritual realization is the higher self guiding and leading the lower self into the fullness of everything your most authentic self desires. <laughs> so that there's alignment between the higher self and the lower self. Then there can be alignment between the higher self and that which is Christ. And then there can be alignment between that which is Christ and that which we call God. <laughs> and so forth. The cross, if you look at the image up there, you see at the bottom, there's a skull wrapped in darkness. That's the self with no enlightenment. And then it's got a person nailed to it who is ascending because if you look at the top, there's the halo and the angels. It's a picture of ascension, not a picture of appeasement. It's leaving the darkness for the light, the darkness of the lower self where there is death in Adam, for the light of the higher self in the heavenly places. And how do I do it? I sacrifice myself. I sacrifice my social self. See, when Jesus said, it does not profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul, He's not talking about judgment for going out and going to the bars and whatever worldly people do. (laughs) Whatever we were taught. He's talking about being so programmed by the world around you that you become that person that you were told you had to be at the expense and you lose connection with your true authentic self. That's the skull in the darkness encased in materiality in the earth. (laughs) All those program selves, you have to sacrifice to connect with the higher self. But then, the higher self still wears the ego, the lower you, as the mask, (laughs) as the feminine principle, if you will, through which your life pours forth. Is that simple enough? I mean, it's supposed to be simple spirituality, but does that help explain things a little bit? All right. God bless you. Have a great afternoon. (laughs) 